Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Dean and Sarah on reaching those he calls cultural Christians with the gospel. So you might point to your religious heritage, to again, being moral, being a good person, uh, maybe your uh, generic belief in God, kind of big man upstairs, spiritual force kind of idea. But so what happens is you can answer the question, are you a Christian? And you can say yes, and your answers you give have nothing to do with Jesus. Dean and Sarah, next. Although they might describe themselves as Christian and even attend church at times, today's guest says in reality they're far from God. Florida pastor Dean and Sarah wants to sensitize believers to this segment of the population in his book, The Unsaved Christian, Reaching Cultural Christianity with the Gospel. Pastor and Sarah, as I understand it, you believe typical evangelism strategies tend to ignore these folks who believe they're going to heaven because they're good people. Tell us about that. Yeah, and, it's, and I'm thankful for any kind of evangelism training, but it seems like so much of it is geared towards skeptics, you know, or atheists yeah. or agnostics, when most people I know uh, aren't atheists or agnostics. And the data shows across the country, most Americans, even in very secular areas, wouldn't call themselves, of course, they're present and they're there, but not the high majority, wouldn't call themselves atheists or wouldn't call themselves agnostics. They might say they're spiritual or they maybe believe in a higher power. Uh, I call them generic theists. Mm, okay. And I believe that the number one religious, if you want to even call it that, belief in America uh, is doesn't even have its own real category, and it's more of a field test of just conversations. I think the listeners will agree with me when they hear this. Is the idea that good people go to heaven? Of course, we don't know. They don't tell us what heaven is. What's the point? Yeah. Uh, you know, just that good people go there. Every funeral you've ever been to. Uh, for a believer, you're hopefully told about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But for the unbeliever, you're always told you know they're in a better place. Right. They'll say things like, we're just so thankful grandma and grandpa are reunited again. You mm -hmm. know, he missed her so much. Yeah. Or we know Uncle Bill's playing golf right now at the big 18 holes in the sky. Right. But every funeral, we're told that. Right. They're a bit, mm -hmm. And the reason that we're reason that's true in their eyes is because Uncle Bill is such a great guy. Yeah. You know, basically everyone goes to heaven because they're good. And we're never ever told who the real bad people are. But apparently everyone's funeral, they're really good. and They're in a better place right now. And that's just a common belief across the country. Well, I, and I want to, of course, drill down a little bit into that, but a talk that you gave uh, last year at a seminary, uh, you, you used the Jesus parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector to help us uh, understand a, a bit about what you're talking about, uh, just to kind of, again, kind of to launch us in. How, how does that parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector kind of give us a, a little bit of a handle on it? Luke 18, it's probably my favorite parable uh, of all the of all of Jesus' parables. So I think it really gives us an understanding of the gospel, of our need, and how salvation really is uh, fully understood. So you have the Pharisee, again, who's not an atheist, was not an agnostic, so was actually pretty devout. And here he is proclaiming out loud at the temple, God, so he's acknowledging faith, and he's even acknowledging a little bit of grace. God, I thank you. Mm -hmm. right? So he, he's, he's thanking God uh, that I'm not like other people. So he declared himself to be a good person in the general sense across the board. Yep. And then he listed some of his accomplishments, talked about how, you know, he ties and he fasts and he prays the things that he does. And then he gets real specific. 
But I tell our congregation all the time, when you believe that it's all about just being a good person, you can always find someone a little worse than you, hopefully, <laughs> right. you know, by the standards of this world. Uh-huh. So he goes, he gets specific, or he goes, or like this tax collector right here. Yeah, here I see this guy. I think I'm not like everybody. I'm glad I'm a good person, but I also think I'm not like him. Uh, so he was pretty proud. He believed that it was his righteousness that earned him God's favor. So then there's the tax collector, and he can't even look up, and he's far away, we're told. And his only response is, God have mercy on me, a sinner. His response isn't, well, that's so judgmental. That Pharisee's not perfect either. Let me tell you five things I know about his life. You know, he doesn't get defensive, make excuses, which we're all prone to do in that moment. Yeah. Instead, he does the only thing he can think of in his desperation, and that's, yes, the Pharisee's right about me. God, I'm just asking you to have mercy. And we're told that he's the one who went away justified, not the other. Because one saw his need for grace, and the other thought that he contributed his salvation one way or another by his good deeds. And I think that's the American story, right? The person who's going to be justified is the one who actually believes in their need for Christ, where the person who's not going to be justified just might be the person who's a theist, but thinks they're fine because of their good deeds and their morality and their Judeo-Christian values and all, all the little buzzwords we want to use. My guest is Pastor Dean and Sarah of uh, City Church in Tallahassee, Florida. You're the author of the book, The Unsaved Christian, which is really the basis for our conversation today. The subtitle is Reaching Cultural Christianity with the Gospel. And uh, you, you've been obviously uh, explaining this, but just to ask you directly, what do you mean by, uh, it's obviously an oxymoron, an unsaved Christian? Yeah, and first I want to make clear that I don't think I'm the judge of who's a Christian and, and who's not, nor do I want to be, but I think the scriptures are. Yeah. You know, and so I, I what I mean by this is if your answer to why you are a Christian is something other than Jesus' work on your behalf, you might not be. So you claim to be a Christian, but your reasoning for believing so is not what the Bible would call saving faith. So you might point to your religious heritage, to, again, being moral, being a good person, uh, maybe your uh, generic belief in God, kind of big man upstairs, spiritual force kind of idea. But so what happens is you can answer the question, are you a Christian? And you can say yes, and your answers you give have nothing to do with Jesus. So you might say, hey, Dean, what makes you a Christian? If I'm just kind of sitting at a restaurant, we're having a conversation. Oh, well, you know, I believe in God. I'm a good person. You know, I grew up going to church. Yeah, yeah oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Notice who I didn't mention. Jesus. Like the name of Christ didn't come out of my mouth. Yeah. So, so I would say that person, unless I'm not trying to get uh, be legalistic about words and vocabulary, I'm just saying if your personal be- reasoning for believing that you're a Christian is other things than what Christ has done on the cross and through his resurrection, then I think that we need the gospel shared with us. And th- these are f- folks, of course, that would check the, the box on a survey, Christian. Uh, I mean, Absolutely it, they would, and that's what makes us so complicated. Uh, because with an atheist and agnostic, we have a clear starting point. For someone who would, they fill out a survey and they're asked their name, their weight, their birth, their height, their race, and then they'll say, what is your religion? They go, well, I'm not Buddhist, I know that. I'm not Muslim, I know that. I know I'm not Jewish, I'm not Hindu, I'm not nothing. Okay, I'm a Christian. And they're almost checking Christian because of what they're not, <laughs> rather than because of what they actually are. And I'm convinced that is our largest mission field. There's a reason why the percentage of the people who claim to be, I know it's dropping, but the percentages of those who claim to be Christians in our country is still the majority. But look around our country. How is that possible? <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. And the, answer, and the answer is not that we lack discipleship, even though that's a whole critical conversation. I think we get frustrated because we think this is a discipleship issue. And I'm making the argument that, no, it's not. It's an evangelism issue. 
Because these people don't actually know Jesus. Like, that's the problem. Yeah, we need discipleship. Absolutely. You know, we need, that's a whole other episode, right? A whole other <laughs> conversation. But when it comes to this issue, that's not what's going on. It's that people think they're Christians and they're not. And this uh, goes a long way, as you just alluded here, to explaining maybe how, at least in some of the research we've seen, well, America is, com- even though, as you say, it's declining and the rise of the nuns, those have that yeah. have no religious affiliation is rising, but yet still this large percentage of Christians, and yet how is it that the culture, that all of these uh, odd things that are not uh, in the direction of biblical Christianity are happening and catching on, this uh, idea of the unsaved Christian or of the uh, influence, the prevalence of cultural Christianity goes a long way to explain that. Yeah, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that's the big issue here. So here we are. I talk to believers all the time where they might say something like, I'm just not around a lot of uh, non-Christians. You know, it's just hard for me to you know find ways to evangelize because they're thinking in categories of that evangelism means atheists and agnostics or your Mormon friend or your Muslim friend. And they're forgetting the fact that just because somebody has been to church before, you know, and and claims theism and celebrates Christmas, that that person in their office is a Christian. Where I'm trying to encourage folks not to have a not to go out on some kind of crusade, going you're a Christian, you're not. Rather, open their eyes to the fact that there's a lot more unbelievers in front of them than they think there are. And by unbeliever, I mean someone who doesn't know Jesus. You know, not not a generic theist who believes in a big guy upstairs and believes that Jesus existed. You know, that that kind of idea. And the subtitle of your book is "Reaching Cultural Christianity with the Gospel." That this is what we're talking about. We're talking about cultural Christianity, where it's it's uh, be, what a belief in God, going to church, and and being an yeah, American. Yeah, heritage. Um, it gets confused sometimes, maybe with patriotism, or you know, it's kind of all just kind of linked together as a sort of one understanding of. Of course, I'm a Christian. I'm an American, and I believe in God. And I'm a good person, and I went, you know, go to church on Easter and Mother's Day, and you know, that, that, that kind of idea. Well, any idea what percentage? Uh, and I don't know if any research is done on this, or if this is just maybe, but just sort of your own uh, observation, or even a gut sense of what percentage of typical. Uh, churches consist of um, unsaved or, or, or cultural Christians, or is there any way to know? It's impossible to measure because there's no real category for it. So I'm not trying to claim I'm the originator of the category, but what I try, what <laughs> I try to do in the book is help develop and understand the category that's unnamed, and I call them unsaved Christians. Uh, because again, the person who's a, who's a cultural Christian thinks they're a Christian. So statistically, they're checking Christian on the box all the time. And if there's someone who actually is a believer they know, they think the only difference between themselves and the actual believer is that person is just really into their religion, is what they would say. Mm-hmm. It's not they're a Christian and I'm not. It's, you know, I'm a Christian, but, you know, Steve, he's really serious. He, I really respect how into his faith he is. He, they just see it as more dedicated to your hobby, basically. Now, just just going back a few years, the, the, your book came out a few years ago. How did this 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 idea, this concept of the unsaved Christian or of cultural Christianity uh, first come to your attention? That's my own story. Uh, I, I was raised going to mainline Protestant church every Sunday, unless we were sick or out of town. Um, you know, nice people, yeah. didn't have a bad experience, nothing like that. Uh, but, you know, was basically told to be a good person. Uh, the Bible stories I learned were all your classic kind of more famous Bible stories. They're all just kind of in the narrative form I never really point us to our need for grace or Christ or anything. It was just kind of like be courageous like David, you know, don't disobey God like Jonah. It was it was that kind of kind of idea. 
And uh, I went to a fellowship of Christian athletes retreat when I was 13 years old, and I heard the gospel for the first time. And if you'd asked me before that if I was a Christian, I would have said absolutely. And, you, and, and I, I thought it was weird you asked me the question. And if you asked me what makes me that, I'd almost be put off that you, I, like, you're trying to put me on the spot or something. I go, of course I'm a Christian. I mean, I'm, I mean, I go to church and I, we pray before dinner and I believe in God and I own a Bible. And, you know, the, but I, I never would have told you anything. Notice my answer right there was not about Jesus. Yes. So I heard that day someone say that you need to actually put your trust in Christ, that you're a sinner who needs to be saved. And the only way we can be forgiven of our sins is by trusting that Jesus was the one who died in our place and took on the punishment that we deserve for our sins. I'd never heard anything like this before. I knew knew Jesus died on the cross, but it was never just personal that it was a substitute for me. You know, it, it was this kind of generic sort of sacrificial, don't even really know what it means kind of present. It was very allegorical, uh, very kind of sentimental. And but I never had actually anyone look at me and say, you need to be saved. I know what that word meant. Uh, so I gave my life to Christ that day and I had a, a football coach kind of walk me through what that meant to understand it. And uh, I realized that that's a story, not just of myself, but it was a story of many of my friends and where I grew up. And, and I just started thinking about, wow, this is the mission field. So I kind of felt guilty. I live in the I live ten miles from the Georgia line. Hmm. Uh, so Tallahassee has a lot of Southern culture. So I kind of felt guilty pastoring in the South uh, because there's churches everywhere down here. Yeah. I know our listeners might not be able to relate to that, but where where we are, I mean, there's churches everywhere. That doesn't mean they're all gospel preaching, but they're everywhere. At least the building and the structure of a church. So I thought, you know, the real missionaries they go to the Northeast and they go out west, and which I thank God for those people. <laughs> you know, we need them to go uh, because the access is different out there. But I said, wait a second, there's a big need here because there's a whole lot of people who are lost but think they're saved. And then that's the difference is there's not that clear starting point of of unbelief or skepticism, and so it's almost like you have to get somebody lost in order to get them saved. And and I believe God's one who does all that all that work, but I believe in the telling of the good news, and it's going to be oftentimes helping people see their need for Jesus rather than just a belief in Him. I'm wondering, were you surprised when you realized, oh, uh, personal faith in Jesus? He died. Oh yeah, for me. I mean, you 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 hadn't heard that, or you weren't aware of that up until that. Yeah, point. Well, I just had no concept of hell or God's judgment, which meant I didn't have a concept of God's grace. Mm. You know, because, because it's while we were sinners that Christ died for us, right? That's how I understand love. So I don't even have a, so I believe that God loved me, but it was not linked to the cross. So it was kind of like, more of like a grandfather love or a sentimental love rather than here's what Jesus has done for us. Uh, so it's kind of, when I came home, I think my parents thought I joined a cult, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, because we went to church every Sunday. We definitely called ourselves Christians. So I kind of, again, I'm young, I'm 13, didn't have to channel it, immature. You know, I bust the door open when I get home and I'm like, our church is the worst. <laughs> you know, and my dad's like, what is going on? So, I, so, and the reason, and, and again, that church was fine. They're good people. But again, it was, a, it was, it was, and I do believe there are some remnant, some remnant, healthy, strong mainline churches out there. The one I was a part of at the time was just was just not preaching Christ, and so um, so I, I realized that, and it was pretty shocking to me, and I, and I was kind of angry about it. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. do, do I remember? Uh, we've spoken before, and, and or or perhaps this in your is in your book. Do I remember that it might have been when you were uh, graduating from seminary that. Uh, when you were explaining to a friend that you were staying in the South, he felt like, "Oh, you've got the you've got the easy assignment. You're in the Bible Belt. You're with you're with this very Christianized area." But then you had to explain to him, "Actually, this is this is this may be tougher, trying to explain the gospel to people that that really it, culturally here uh, believe everything's fine." Yeah. So he said, "I appreciate you bringing that story up because it was really shaping for me." He's the one who convinced me of that. 
because oh. I felt bad that he was going out west. And I felt like I was taking the easy route. And to encourage me, he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He goes, careful saying that. He said, yeah, where I'm going is difficult out west. But people, there's really not a confusion over who's a Christian or who's not. Like either you follow, it's Northern California. Either you follow Jesus or you don't. There's not that like confusing middle. He said, where you're going, everybody thinks they're fine. And I, and I said, wow, <laughs> he goes, you have no clear starting point. And I just really needed to hear that that day because it allowed me to have this confidence uh, that this was the right thing to do. And again, that's not in place of people who are going different places. We need, we need church planners everywhere. Right. And, but, and I understand that the access is different out west to the gospel. Uh, but here, it really, there's a need to help people see the actual true gospel. And that is not anything crazy. It's simply, I'm not trying to be, not that you need some kind of systematic theology textbook. It's simply Jesus Christ crucified and risen. And that is not a component of much of Christianity in the South. Well, how do you go about it? And you, you, you've mentioned it. I'm thinking there's both the personal, uh, the personal level. It could be a friend. It could be a family member. And then it's also the level of preaching over the pulpit to yeah. your church. How, how do you uh, re- reach people that you know are, are there? Either you're talking to someone or they're in the church, but that uh, trying to explain to them, this is the gospel, not this. Well, I think a gospel-centered approach is critical in, in, in every sermon. It's just a value I have and a conviction I have in preaching that, as uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones's Jesus Storybook Bible says, that every story whispers his name, mm. right, right throughout the Scripture. So we're trying to resolve everything in the Scriptures as pointing to Jesus, ultimately. Uh, so I'm just mindful of them always. And it, the word, you know, deconstruction is a popular word today. I, I, I do a different kind of deconstruction where I'm trying to deconstruct a mainline cultural Christianity upbringing. If that's former, you know, people who are raised cultural Catholic, uh, those who are raised in non-gospel preaching Protestant churches, I'm trying to like deconstruct those thoughts. Like it's all about just being a good person, being sincere. You know, who are you to say you're right? I, I believe in God. What's the problem? You know, we're all going to the same place. I'm trying to take that apart all the time and trying to hold up Christ instead. Like, like the answer is Jesus. You know, so I, I might, I had, I might preach at Easter this past Easter. And uh, I uh, preached on John chapter 10, Jesus being the door, as the ESV uses the word door. And I said, he is the, you enter by me and you'll be saved. And, and I just want to be very clear to everyone that Jesus tells us right here that he's not the one on the other side of the door. He is the door. Mm. Like he's the one we actually go through uh, to receive salvation. And so a lot of people would think maybe he's kind of waiting for everyone on the other side of the door. Again, cultural Christianity is very sentimental. So everybody walks their own paths and tries their hardest, and then Jesus welcomes us all home. I'm like, no, no, no. He's not on the other side of the door. He is the door. Like He is the gate. He is the way. And just to lift that up always, and, and so to hopefully strengthen the believer and their confidence in Christ and their confidence in their gospel and their salvation, but also to hopefully open the unbeliever's eyes uh, to the fact they need Jesus. Not just, they just don't need to admire Jesus. They need Jesus to be saved. It's that emphasis on the personal aspect, not, not simply believing in him or believing that he died on the cross, but that it, it you bring it home by that it, he did it for you. Yeah. I mean, Jesus said he must be born again. And I tell our church regularly, I'll say, hey, that is not just old revivalistic Southern language when you hear born again. That's Jesus language. He told us we must actually have a conversion. You convert to Christianity. We're a conversion people. You know, so I want to make sure people are just clear, clear on that. I'm wondering what kind of uh, feedback you've gotten, uh, Pastor and Sarah, on your book, The Unsaved Christian, Reaching Cultural Christianity with the Gospel. It's been out a few years, and and it seems like it's a pretty—in a sense, it's a novel idea. 
Well, you know, as my first book, I had no I had no context in terms of how this works and how this is going to be received. And it's been a real blessing because my hope was I wanted to encourage people to open their eyes to the mission field in front of them and to understand cultural Christianity. So I break it down to all these different aspects of it, anything from cultural Catholicism to Protestant liberalism to the God and country person to I'm a good person, kind of all over the board. And I, I've had pastors reach out to me and say that they now use it as their evangelism training. Mm. When it used to be simply just, here's how you talk to the skeptic. Now, again, I want that. I hope that continues. We need to make sure we're reaching the skeptic. Uh, but, uh, but they're finally realizing, oh, wait, we don't have to go looking very hard to find someone who doesn't know Christ. You know, and, and so, but also I've had people tell me that aren't in the geographical South that open their eyes to much of cultural Catholicism or just the I'm a good person, theist person that exists all over the country. So I, I think to think that cultural Christianity is simply a Bible belt issue is a mistake. Uh, I think it just looks different. It's a different kind of cultural Christianity. It's one that's more churched. Oh, that's interesting. So you can find yeah. it anywhere. Obviously, there's churched and unchurched cultural Christians. Yes, completely. Uh, so, so, and again, there, and then it has maybe a little more layers to it. There's a little more maybe Bible knowledge or Bible acceptance, but there's still not a. It's still a. It's still a Pharisee, Luke 18. God, I thank you that I'm really good. And you know, it's, it, it all goes back. It's a self righteousness because when we think of self righteousness, we, we often think of like being uh, just really arrogant or something along those lines. But oftentimes in the scriptures, a self it does cover that. But self-righteousness more just means I'm trusting in myself that I am righteous. It's a belief that you yourself are good, and Jesus came to really abolish that thinking. If you're talking with someone, whoever it may be, uh, is there a question or two that you can ask uh, to kind of discern where they're, where they're at? Yeah, so what I do is I try to uh, just get someone to tell their own story. Like mm. I'll say something along the lines of, um, you can use this as a relationship in place first. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. I'll say, hey, I realize, you know, I noticed that uh, I, saw, I saw your Easter pictures. You guys look great, you know, as a family. And uh, did you guys go to church on Easter Sunday? He's like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, I didn't know you guys were Christians. Oh yeah, of course. And and I said, oh, tell me, tell me your story about becoming a believer. I'm not trying to back them into the wall. I'm just asking the question. Yeah. And they look at you like you are a ghost, or they give you this ramble about all the things we've talked about so far. They'll just talk about things like they're just going to give you a bunch of cultural Christian jar. They're going to say, "Well, I'm a good, yeah, I'm a good person. I try my hardest to be good, uh, be a good dad, be a good husband, you know, be a good, you know." And then I, um, we go to church when we can. You know, we're busy, mm. just like anybody else. And they just kind of yeah. don't, don't talk about Jesus at all. And I will go, "Okay, I'm not going to like push back hard. I want to yeah. be gracious, but I'll say, okay, can I, I, I don't, can I tell you my story? And I just make it all about Christ." You know, and, and just ask them, then I'll just ask them if they've ever had opportunities like to do that. And then another thing I've noticed is when they get exposed to gospel preaching, so the power of a church invitation is huge in cultural Christianity. When they get a, really, when they get introduced to gospel preaching, they've never heard anything like it before and it captivates them. They might be a little offended at first, but they're going, whoa, that's kind of like my experience when I heard the gospel for the mm -hmm. first time. They're going, wait a second, that is different. Than anything I've been hearing over here, <laughs> or that I've heard my whole life, which is more just not even what they've been hearing, it's they haven't been hearing. That that's more of what happens. You, you mentioned also, of course, at the beginning, we do need discipleship, uh, in how oh, yeah. how important that is. But but you said uh, a lot of times cultural Christianity as well can be discerned between maybe the emphasis on decisions versus discipleship, uh, and there can be kind of a of an idea that, well, you, you made a decision back there, therefore, everything's fine. Oh, yeah. Well, we have to make sure we don't see conversion as a rite of passage. And that's what can happen. I don't say always what can happen with our Catholic friends. 
you know, is that you go through your confirmation and your first communion. And you know, it's just kind of like it's kind of a rite of passage mm-hmm. that can happen in a more uh, maybe a baptistic circles as well. Uh, where uh, might be quick to criticize Catholics, but at the same time, it's like now you're six years old. You go meet with the pastor. He actually want to trust Jesus in your heart, and then you get baptized. You pray this prayer after me, and then you get baptized the next day. It's like well, you know, Jesus said, "Let the little children come to me." But let's make sure we get that He says, "Come to me." <laughs> that it's actually about Christ, you know, and not a uh, hocus pocus. Say these words, and you're saved. You know, kind of idea. Just gotta be careful with that kind of stuff. I'm all for child conversions. We love seeing children get baptized. Yeah. But let's make sure they're actually make sure they're actually coming to Christ and not to a family tradition. It's their turn, rite of passage kind of idea. So we have to make sure that people actually are coming to faith. And then then it's our job as a church to disciple people. You don't disciple unbelievers. You reach unbelievers. You evangelize unbelievers. And then once they come to faith, it's our job to make sure that that they're being evangelized. The Christian home and the church. Would you have any uh, encouragement, Pastor and Sarah, for churches, for pastors yeah. as they preach? Yeah, you got a lot more lost people coming than you think. Oh. You know, you, you might you might be going because you might you might be saying, "Oh, well, you know, we're just not doing a good job of seeing lost people come to church." I don't know about that. Uh, you, again, you're thinking atheists, agnostics, other world religions. Like, just remember, you have people in your congregation every Sunday that are coming, or maybe they come once a month, or whatever it could be. Uh, that think they're Christians and their reason for believing so is because they think they're good people and they aren't atheists. And you have the opportunity every week just to lift up Christ to them and also to encourage the people of the, of the, of the church that they can look not very far away to find people who are unbelievers around them without them even realizing it. And just so I would just say that just be encouraged that you are seeing people who don't know Jesus like you're praying for to come on Sunday morning. Actually, God's answering your prayer more than you think. You just need to open your eyes to the fact that quit thinking in categories of simply skeptic, atheist, agnostic, even though hopefully they're going to come too one day. Yeah. Uh, but realize that there's people who who their answer to why they are Christians is not Christ sitting right in front of you. Matthew 7, uh, 21 through 23, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform miracles in your name? And Jesus said, I'll tell them I never knew you. You know, away from me, you, you evildoers. One translation says, you workers of lawlessness. What's happening is their justification is to their works, rather than to knowing Christ, and that's being played out in front of us today all the time. And maybe you just answered this, but uh, of course we've been talking about the people that we come in contact with or the people that come to our church, but what about what about us? How Is, is there anything that you would suggest maybe we, we ask of ourselves just to make sure that, that we're not a, a, a cultural Christian? Yeah, and I, I think that what, what is my reason? What is my justification? Is it Jesus or myself? You know, like who is my plea? You know, if I, if I am I going to stand before God on my merit, on the merit of Jesus? And, and I really do think that that's the question we have to answer. And so, um, and, and how easy we can drift back into a workspace righteousness. I don't think that makes us not a believer anymore. I think God holds our salvation in his hands. But I think we can functionally think like the Pharisee in Luke 18 if we're not careful. Uh, so just regularly realize that it really is grace. Like it really is all of the, the, the old saying, I'm not sure who first came up with it, but the only thing we contribute to our salvation is a sin that makes it necessary. You know, God's the one that's, that, that initiates it, that carries it through, and that finishes it. And I think we should be mindful of that. Last thoughts, uh, parting shots as we wrap up? Yeah, just there's a mission field right in front of us. Uh, you know, G- Jesus said that the, you know, the harvest is plenty, the workers are few. You know, pray for laborers. And so as we're p- praying for the mission field, realize that it's not as far away as you think it is. People have this context right in front of them all the time. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dean and Sarah, pastor of City Church in Tallahassee, Florida, and author of The Unsaved Christian, Reaching Cultural Christianity with the Gospel. 
Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Ryan Brown bringing awareness to countries which most persecute Christians around the world, like North Korea. If they are thrown in prison, are actually very quickly uh, relocated to labor camps where they may very well spend the, the rest of their life uh, doing this intense manual forced labor. Um, and it is dangerous to be a, a Christian in those areas. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.